Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you're having an awesome day. I am recording this intro at 11.13 p.m. It is Monday night. Uh, Halloween was today, and I hope you all had a very spooky and safe and fun holiday. Um, I was talking with Tiffany, my wife, tonight, and... She uh, told me, you know, I think Halloween is my favorite holiday, which is funny because I could have told her for sure it was her favorite holiday. Uh, But the reason she likes it so much is, A, it's cool, but B, seeing the whole neighborhood out and people outside talking to each other, it's really cool. And I, I hope that you were able to experience something like that and get some community around this holiday. We had a really cool service yesterday. Uh, on the Sunday closest to Halloween, we demand that everyone shows up in costume. We're one of those weird churches. Um, in fact, the most of the band was was dressed up in costume, which is really funny. Uh, Hannah was dressed up, and we had a really cool day. There's not really any announcements that I need to go over with you, so let's just jump straight to the service. Uh, as I said, we dressed up, and Hannah was actually. My name's not Hannah. My name's Dennis Phillips. <laughs> If you I told don't... Hannah that she should address uh, Nova up as Hurricane Nova. I don't need to dress her up as something that she is in real life. <laughs> <laughs> She's Moana, okay? Or in her words, Wana. <laughs> uh, I hope you got some chocolate on the way in. Um, I'm very hot. I don't know how guys do this. Like, do you just you just have like this buttoned all the all the time? You just traps the heat and then you just explode. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming off immediately after service. Um, if you don't know who Dennis Phillips is, you are missing out, okay? First of all, he's the best weatherman on the planet, but especially during the hurricane season. Uh, also, the kids made these last week. They made our Halloween decor. <laughs> I love it so much. Okay, y'all need to know I've had a lot of caffeine. I have not had this much caffeine since Pride <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's going to be an all day. Let me get that double. And the guy was like, okay, because I normally order decaf. So if I literally start like jumping up and down, you're welcome. <clears throat> if I'm talking too fast, someone please just wave at me and I'll try to slow down. This morning, we are talking about nothing to do with Halloween whatsoever. We just like this. Also, can I just say, I am truly blown away that Guiana can sing through a mask. How does that even happen? I can't even breathe when there's a mask on my face. And you're singing. Okay. Last Sunday, we talked about doubt. This Sunday, we are talking about what to do when God is silent. Or is God silent? And I think we have all been there at least once in our lives. Some of us, like me, 100 million times. Uh, we have prayed or asked or begged for some communication from God, and we felt like we're just talking to a brick wall. And a silent God can feel like no God. It's awful. Like, you get the silent treatment from your partner or your friend, it feels terrible. It feels like a broken relationship. And then we start to doubt, and we wonder, like, if God promised God would never leave or forsake me, then why do I feel so alone? We see stories of God speaking to all kinds of people in the Bible, And we don't experience it. Why won't God do that for us? When we pray, it feels like talking to your houseplant. Or in my case, a dead houseplant. Because I can't keep anything alive. (laughs) Listen, 
James did a wonderful thing and planted plants with Nova. <laughs> and they're still alive. I put them outside, but now they will be forgotten and shrivel into dust. <laughs> like, what, we feel like God is not answering. And we sometimes give up when this happens, like we get indifferent towards God or we give up being with our faith community or we give up trying to pray or communicate with God in general because if God isn't gonna answer me, why would, she, why would we bother to ask? Right? Like, God, why, if God is infinite, can God not take five seconds to respond to me? Right? And it, I think that there are times we're doing all the right things, we're following God the best we know how, and God seems silent. We pound on the door of heaven, no one answers. Or to put it in modern terms, we send God 57 text messages, and God leaves us on read. <laughs> not answering. It feels awful, right? And then it feels like a waste of time. Because like if someone ghosts you, is the reasonable thing to do to just keep texting them forever? Oh, no. <laughs> no, the answer to that is no. <laughs> It feels like God is ghosting us because God very rarely responds in like a clear, direct manner that we want God to respond. Like we wanna hear the audible, specific voice of God telling us exactly what to do with a logical five-step plan to fix our scenario. But instead we got nothing, which is awesome. So love that journey for us. What if when we think God is silent, God is still speaking but in a different way? Or the question like, is God ever really silent? Or are we just perceiving it that way? If we believe in the kind of God portrayed in the Bible, by definition, we are believing in a God who endlessly speaks. God spoke the world into existence and has never stopped speaking. God spoke to the first humans and then their descendants and then their descendants and then their descendants and has kept speaking through poetry and through prophets and through priests and through the Bible and through all kinds of ways. And then the Gospel of John tells us that the word became flesh and lived among us, which means that Jesus is what God sounds like. God's literal words becoming a person God's words sustain the fabric of our existence. The universe is full of God's word. Every atom is animated by God, including the seven billion, billion, billion atoms that make up you. You came to exist because God is speaking and you continue to exist because God is speaking and God is never silent. Okay, great. Um, but then why does it seem like God is silent? <laughs> That's a lovely answer, except for when you're trying to get an answer out of God and you're getting nothing. I think one of the reasons is that God often speaks in ways that we are not expecting and sometimes don't understand. I'm reminded of like Elijah in the Old Testament who was running for his life from the government. He did, he heard the voice of God. He got one of those experiences. God was like, do this. Go to these people to give them a message. So he went to the people who happened to be the king and queen of Israel and he gave them God's message, which was basically telling them off. And then shockingly, they wanted to murder him. So they, he's running for his life from the government and he is so mad. He is angry, he's depressed, he's hopeless, he's overwhelmed. He's like, you told me to do this and then you abandoned me and now they're trying to kill me and I don't even know if you care about me, God. How could you do this to me? And he's hiding in a cave. And he's like, you better say something to me or I'm out of life. He literally wanted to die. And then there was a hurricane and then there was an earthquake and then there was a fire 
And every time Elijah was like, oh, no, no God. <laughs> There's these huge events. The earth hurricane happens. He's like, oh, God is in. No, God wasn't there. <laughs> Earthquake. Oh, no, God's not there. Fire. No, God's still not there. And after all of this amazing, what's the word I'm looking for? Kevin. <laughs> I'm twitching. <laughs> after all the stuff <laughs> happens, then the voice of God appears and it wasn't loud or dramatic. It was gentle and soft and quiet, like a breeze. Sometimes God speaks through the sensational and the dramatic, right? In those moments, it's almost like God is shouting at us to get our attention, like if Nova runs toward the street, and I'm like, Nova Ray! And she's like, huh? <laughs> what? You never talk to me that way, because I'm trying to save your life right now. I don't want you to be a pancake. She doesn't understand. She's like, oh, could you talk to me that way? If God talks to you that way, that's the way we react also. We're like, huh. <laughs> I know I've been asking for this, but why would you be like that to me? Most of the time, God speaks gently and calmly and softly, right? And I think about this in terms of how we react with our children. If a toddler is screaming, none of us have ever heard that, raging, like exploding out of their body, the best way to communicate with them is not to join their chaos and match their tone, okay? If they are loud and we get loud, they will get louder, okay? And if they're quiet, it's because they're afraid, not because they're learning anything. But if they are loud and we are calm and gentle, then they eventually will settle themselves down. <laughs> Their toddler tornado will burn itself out, and then they will be able to hear what we're saying. The key to being present in a toddler meltdown is to speak low, slow, and very little. I'm working on this deeply. <laughs> Their brains cannot process logic in those moments. Their brains are offline, okay? You try to be like, let me reason with you, three-year-old. And they're just like, nah, <laughs> I'm so angry. If they are upset and raging, right, they cannot learn in those moments. You, trying to use logic does not work. And if you know, you know. <laughs> if you've ever tried to reason with a toddler, it's, it's again like talking to a houseplant, but a screaming one, perhaps a Venus flytrap. <laughs> Why? Because they're pure feeling. You cannot logic a toddler out of their feelings. In fact, you can't really logic adults out of their feelings either, even though we consistently try this. I want you all to go on a journey with me, okay? I want you to imagine this scenario. You had a really long day at work. You were late this morning. You did not have time to make breakfast. You didn't even have time to make coffee. You pulled through a coffee shop drive-thru only to find out that they were closed because the power's out. And you didn't have time to stop anywhere else. You get to work. You are in meetings immediately. You finally get time to drink some nasty break room coffee, but it's too late. You already have a caffeine headache. And then your boss, who's also having a bad day, dumps a project on your lap from your sick coworker who called out without so much as a please or a thank you. And then you get home and you're, you're a little hangry. And you try to make dinner and then you get distracted for a couple minutes and then your dinner burns. Got a black pot on the stove. You are tired, you are hungry, and you are supremely annoyed. So you feel like screaming or crying or punching a wall. And then your partner or your roommate comes in 
and they say something like this to you. What's the big deal? It's just dinner. We can just eat leftovers. You're overreacting. You need to calm down. How does that feel? <laughs> in your body, are you a little mad right now? I can promise you if that went down in my house, it would not go well. Now I want you to imagine the same scenario. You've had this horrible, no good, messed up, terrible day. You burned your dinner. You're a little hangry, okay? And then your partner comes in and says, hey, I'm really sorry I didn't get back to your text about how awful your boss was earlier. I was in a meeting. It sounds like you had an awful day. Here's a peanut butter ball. We can figure out dinner in a minute, but you're hungry, so you should eat something. Can I clean this pot for you? What if we just like warm up the leftovers? from Friday and we watch The Office on the couch and just take it easy tonight. You don't know how much I agonized over what TV show to mention right there. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. But does that feel better? Does that feel better, right? We're not about to like burn the place down because our partner was like, calm down, okay? I think quite often when we say God is silent, what is actually happening is that we are melting down. We are ragey, we are angry, we're disappointed, we're overwhelmed, and we want God to match our tone. We're screaming and God's not screaming. We want God to give us logic. Here's the thing to fix your life, all five steps. But we can't hear God because God's not adding chaos on top of our chaos. God's not gonna get loud just because we're being loud. God's voice is gentle, God's voice is quiet. Right? God is not going to give us logic because that's not what we need in the moment. And honestly, we wouldn't receive it anyways. It would just make us mad. Is it true, logically, that I would be overreacting about dinner and that there is, in fact, food in the fridge and no one's going to starve? Yes. Is that what I need to hear in that moment? No. God is waiting for the tornado to burn itself out so that we can have space to listen. God is speaking low and slow and sometimes very little, maybe humming, maybe singing softly. A few bass notes we can barely hear, but the vibrations we can feel and it helps us calm down. I think to encounter God's voice is to like encounter jazz music. It has rhythm. Not the kind we're prepared for, usually. It's beautiful. Sometimes the notes clash before they resolve. It defies words. It enhances words. It's beautiful and melodic, and it's entirely outside what we're prepared for. And because it's jazz, you never know what's coming next. You think you know, you don't know, right? We have to listen for the music. Listening is an art. And like all artists, we can only get better by practicing. We have to focus and wait and breathe and watch and be still. And the scripture says, be still, and then you will know that I am God. The only way we can hear the gentle voice of God is if we silence some of the noise, which is real hard, especially when you have a toddler. She's only noise. Doesn't know how to exist in quiet. It's quiet, and she's like, Miyazak? Miyazak? TV? Watch TV? <laughs> And then I'll put music on, and she's like, dance party? And I'm like, I don't want to dance. <laughs> I'm tired. 
This is really hard. It's much easier to listen to a podcast or watch TV or scroll TikTok for three hours than it is to take a walk alone in silence or to sit on the floor in your living room with your eyes closed and no sound for 15 minutes. Oh, 15 minutes? I could make it about two minutes. Being alone with our thoughts is really difficult. We will do anything to avoid it. And even if we've healed enough to be okay to be alone with our thoughts and really try to listen for God, then we even have to wait for God to speak. We'd be like, God, I've done all this work and I'm ready to hear you. And God's like, are you though? And then we're like, "Mm mm-hmm, where are you at? God's just waiting. And we're just waiting. We're like, hello, (laughs) knock, knock. Who's there? No one. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't have a knock-knock joke. I should have. (laughs) Thanks, Aaron, for participating. Pentecostals say, what? (laughs) Okay. The Hebrew word for wait can be translated to writhe in pain, (laughs) which is what it feels like to me. Being still feels like agony. Being busy feels like home. Being in chaos feels like home. But we are often so busy that we are just unable to notice all the ways that God is appearing around us. And I think there's a really great story in the Old Testament. In Exodus 3, there's this story about Moses, who's out in the desert tending sheep. God appears to him in the form of a burning bush and says, take off your shoes, because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. God, in true ridiculous God fashion, tells him this out of a burning bush, because God's a little extra. (laughs) God wasn't like, hello, Moses. And he's like, oh, a person in the desert, weird. No, a burning on fire bush is talking to him. And so after Moses gets over the shock of this, I can imagine he would be really surprised. I mean, he would have known this area of the desert very well, right? After all, he'd been walking on it for 40 years, longer than some of us have been alive. Moses has been walking this ground. This is not holy ground. This is where he worked. In his mind, it was regular, dusty, dirty, sheep-trampled ground. And God's like, it's holy. Can you imagine if you work in an office, you just get to work one day and then your cubicle, your printer starts talking to you and it's like, your cubicle is holy ground. (laughs) Or if you work in childcare, like the diapers suddenly being like, this is holy ground, the changing table. You would be like, no. Or me, if I walked in here at 8 a.m. on a Sunday like I normally do and the stacks of chairs were like, this is holy ground, I'd lose my mind. In fact, church would be canceled. (laughs) probably forever, because the phantom of the opera is here. (laughs) And this place is haunted, and we have to leave. (laughs) Okay? Like, what if the ground that you're in on your life right now is soaked through with holiness? What if every detail of your repetitive, boring, mundane life is permeated by the presence of God? What if the very atmosphere around you is exploding with God's voice? God speaks. It just might not be in the way we expect. I know that kind of feels like a cop-out, like a non-answer. God, oh, is God being silent? You're just not listening hard enough. But I think it's actually reality because God is always speaking, right? God's just not being as loud as we are. Like God, God speaks through other people, sometimes even the ones that infuriate you. God speaks through books and music and poetry and nature and dreams. God speaks through creation. Like think of a sunset on the beach. 
it's magical. God is speaking, right? God speaks through the gnawing sense that something is wrong. This is a hard one. But what if the discomfort you're experiencing is the answer you're looking for? God speaks through pain and loss and sadness. If God exists, then there's no such thing as ordinary ground. It's all holy. This moment, right now, wherever you are, is holy and God is speaking. The fingerprints of God are all over your life. There have been so many times in life where I have doubted God because I wasn't getting the answers I was looking for. But I could have had some answers if I had been a little open to receiving something else. There are so many times I've doubted God, and there's times I still do, but I'm also kind of learning what it means to trust. Like, I'm learning that God's silence is not God's absence. Maybe God's waiting for me to calm down the tornado. I'm learning that God is found in everyday, ordinary things, and I don't have to look very hard because God is right there. I am learning that when I'm tired and stumbling and heading into what feels like a valley in my faith, it's often God trying to nudge me forward in my life because we can't exist on the mountaintop all the time. The view is great, but there's no food or water up there. We have to go down in the valley. And we have to learn how to be honest. Progressive Christians talk a lot about being honest. But I think when push comes to shove, we don't do it. Like, we don't do it. We're like, we're being brutally authentic. And yet, we're editing what we're saying. And yet, we don't really trust that if we say what's really in our souls, that people will actually accept that, that God will actually accept that. Are we really willing to wrestle with God? Say that a hundred times. Are we willing to wrestle? (laughs) Really willing? I can't do it. Are we willing to be brutally honest about the doubts we're having? and how we feel upset with God for not giving us the answers that we want? Because let me tell you, Nova is very honest when I make her mad. It doesn't come out in words necessarily, but I know what she means. (laughs) She's like, how, like yesterday morning, she was livid that I would not let her in the bathroom when Josiah was taking a shower. And I was like, what, leave him alone. Can he not have 10 minutes? And she was like, like, I'm not even gonna make the sound. You won't have eardrums. And so we went in her room, and I sat in front of the door, and I contained her in a space, and she wanted out. Oh, she wanted out. She wanted out with her whole being. She fell on the floor. She flapped her arms. She screamed. No words other than, all done this, all done this. And I was like, I know you're all done with this, but I'm not moving. My job is actually to keep you safe. And you are not being safe right now. I cannot let you out of here when you're going to hit something, when you're going to hurt someone. Right? Are we really willing to wrestle with God? Because if we are willing to do that, that means we're going to have to get uncomfortably, awkwardly close. I have never felt so uncomfortable in my life as when I had the misfortune of watching a wrestling match live once. And I was just like, whew, like, I just can't. This is not for me, okay? Like, there's just some people just all on top of each other and they're fighting (laughs) and it's so awkward. Are we willing to be brutally honest about the doubts 
that we are having and how we feel upset with God for not giving us the answers that we want? Are we willing to scream, (laughs) right, at the God who is sitting in front of the door of our room saying, I won't let you out of here because it's not safe? Actually, I have what's best in mind for you, and I need you to calm down. You're not in trouble. I'm here for you. But you have to let this tornado go so that you can hear my voice. Wrestling with God feels uncomfortable and awkward, and God wants us to quit pretending and be real. I can't even tell you how many prayers I start. I find it really easy to pray for other people, very hard to pray for myself. And I will say things like, I'm like, oh, dear God, something, something. And then I'm like, well, it's been a while. I don't know. Like, I'm going to start with all the things that I'm going to promise before I ask for what I need. Um, I'm going to ask for what I need, and then I'm going to be like, well, but I know I haven't talked to you in a while, so um, maybe you don't have to do that. Or maybe you know what's better for me, so maybe I shouldn't even be asking for this in the first place. Like, can we just have an honest conversation? Can we just be like, God, I'm tired of you not showing up the way I want you to. I'm really mad about it. But also, I know you're here. The only way superficial faith becomes genuine faith is when we question and agonize and shout and bear our souls and get uncomfortably close. It's when we specifically name our fears and our doubts and when we burn dinner and we rage about it. But instead of letting it ruin our night, we curl up on the couch and we have a chat with God. It's when we accept that God's giving us a peanut butter bowl because that's what we need and not fixing our whole life, which is what we want. That's when we're set free. Eugene Peterson, who I love, describes the process of faith as a long obedience in the same direction. I hate that. Brian McLaren describes it as we make the road by walking. I also hate that. (laughs) I want answers, and I want them now. (laughs) I don't want to get off the couch and go outside to train. I want to run the marathon. I want to be like, I woke up and I'm great. Nope. <laughs> I want to be healed from all the trauma. I want to be breaking all the cycles. And I don't want to have to work at it. I want the situation to be fixed. I don't want to have to learn how to fix it. In our age of instant gratification, this is a very grating concept, I think. We are not prepared for a time-consuming journey. We want patience. No. Y'all can come back up here. I'm almost done. We want patience now. We don't want to have to learn patience. Did anyone ever hear when you were growing up in church, like, don't pray for patience, because God's just going to give you situations (laughs) where you can learn to be patient. Guess what? You don't have to pray for patience. Patience is one of those things you get to learn no matter what. So you're not escaping it (laughs) just because you didn't pray for it. We just want to be there already. But Jesus says, follow me, it means putting on hiking boots and going into a new terrain. And when you put on your hiking boots and they're not broken in, they're going to cause some blisters. And even when you've broken them in, some days are just really long and really hard and you've walked a long ways and your feet are killing you. And we want to be there already, so we just endlessly ask God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And when we sigh dramatically when we pass an exit that we think God should have taken so that we can get there faster, and we're like, God, it's right there. Why can't I go that way? And I think God takes us the long way home. Why? Because it's about relationship. Because the journey is maybe more important than the destination. Because learning 
how to walk and learning how to build our muscles is more important than being at a place where we think we have it figured out. Intimacy and relationship is more valuable than resolution. This is hard. And we're still learning it. But we can learn. We're not stuck. We will not be forever right here, right now, with our burnt dinner and our hanger and our measly few coping skills. We're going to grow. We are going to learn how to take deep breaths to match the rise and fall of the rhythms that God has put in creation. We are going to learn how to be honest even when it hurts. And then we will learn that God not only welcomes our honesty, but celebrates it. going to learn that all the ground we're standing on is holy. And God's voice animates every living thing. We will learn to look into God's sunset when we feel lost and hold each other when we feel trapped. We will learn how to dance with, with the jazz music and not to panic when the chords clash because we know eventually they will resolve.